In the Civil Rights Act of 1968, America does move forward. And the bell of freedom rings out a little louder. This is A Little Louder, a podcast for wonks, housers, and rabble-rousers, where we talk about fair housing, community development, and how we can use these issues to build people power and work toward equity and justice. Today's podcast is a buzz session where we're going to talk about top current issues facing Texas affordable homes and neighborhoods. In this episode, we'll hear from Michael Deepland, Texas Housers Communications Manager, Julia Ordonia, Texas Housers Southeast Texas Director, and Aaron Hahn, who's a research analyst at Texas Housers. I'm John Henneberger, co-director of Texas Housers, and we're here today to talk about the lessons we've learned from this eviction crisis. I think the biggest takeaway that I have is the uh, general awareness of how close everyday people are to poverty. They often say that most households are only one or two missed paychecks away from being being displaced. And I think that during the pandemic, people felt the reality of that. That wasn't just something that was in theory, but an actual practice. And not only did they feel the reality of that, but they also came to understand that resources should be available. The average person who is maybe middle class or or upper middle class felt a distance from that before. But during the pandemic, I think they saw a lot of their neighbors, a lot of their friends, a lot of their family experience hardships that really threatened coming unhoused. And they saw that, why shouldn't we have more protections? Why shouldn't we have more resources available for when people are in danger of being put on the streets? Aaron, what's on the top of your list? Lessons learned. One thing that we've learned during the pandemic is that federal housing programs like the emergency rental assistance program that rely on devolution, or in other words, rely on local jurisdictions to administer federal funds, don't work to the extent that they could in states with highly polarized landscapes like the state of Texas without federal enforcement and accountability. And so we've seen that local officials in our progressive major cities like the city of Austin, San Antonio, Houston, are highly motivated to put the work in to make sure that these federal funds for rental assistance are administered efficiently and equitably and that they're effectively prevent evictions. Local officials in some of our our smaller, more rural, conservative um, counties have allowed these federal funds for rental assistance to remain unspent, unused, while evictions are continuing. And so this is happening for reasons that include political partisanship, because some conservative local officials may consider ERI to be government handouts and have no interest in in spending it. And so going into the future of federal housing programs, there needs to be some level of federal accountability. The federal government needs to step in and say, it is unacceptable for you to refuse to administer rental assistance while simultaneously allowing evictions to continue. I'm interested, nobody's yet mentioned the reform of the eviction process itself. Would you all agree with me that that's something that's kind of fundamental in this this disaster exposed that as a need? I definitely see this as a very eye-opening experience 
for the need for eviction reform. We knew evictions were an issue before the pandemic, but it was really put in an, under a microscope once we started looking at this housing insecurity of the pandemic. And so as, as you said, John, we've been actually watching what has happening in court, how the justice of the peace are either uh, working with tenants and landlords, how rental relief is actually being utilized and implemented in the courts, and is it being utilized and implemented in the right way to actually help people continue to stay housed. Ultimately, what we've seen is that we do need that reform. There are certain things that JPs have to do according to the law, and it may be a sense of urgency that they don't ask these questions because they have a hundred cases on their docket and they need to get to everybody. It could be a sense of complacency that many of these judges have been decades on the bench and therefore they are really maybe not as polished as they should be in what the law implements. And, and so maybe their line of questioning has just gotten really relaxed. And so we are now starting to call out those issues. How do we continue to create a more equitable uh, eviction process to where it is not biased for the landlord or the tenant, that there is a completely unbiased judgment passed based on the facts of the law. It seems to me like it's also really more than just balance. It's like, what do we want our eviction courts to be doing? Isn't it really fundamentally in all of our interest that the courts do what they can to keep people housed? as opposed to just being a service for rubber stamping evictions. Michael's point earlier struck me as sort of interesting. It's like the middle class and people with more means have seldom experienced the type of struggle to keep housed that this eviction has pushed onto people. So I suspect that, you know, we are seeing a lot of people who never would have thought they would have found themselves in eviction court all of a sudden, at least looking at the possibility of being evicted, or as Aaron says, desperately trying to find a way to access that rental assistance, in which in, in some instances the local governments aren't making it available. These pieces all seem to fit in together. I, I agree that all the pieces seem to be fitting together. I just think that we're finally getting a, a panoramic view of of everything that's happening and and the the circumstances of the pandemic has done that now of course you know the problems are exacerbated for the most vulnerable there are all these sort of barriers that exist for folks who may find themselves in eviction court speaking to what Aaron said and, and speaking a bit of what Julia said we need to make foundational changes when it comes to this kind of proceeding and we need to make sure that this isn't just simply a factory line rubber stamp situation for uh, landlords who simply want to evict and move on. I remember Julia saying something like when she was first seeing what eviction court was like, you know, these proceedings can happen in under five minutes. Aaron, you mentioned the the fact that some local governments were just refusing to administer federal emergency rental assistance funds and that the federal government had basically set this program up so that if you wanted to get money, you needed to be able to go to either the state or local government in order to get assistance. And Michael talks a little bit about the the sort of factory line moving people to 
eviction. So emergency rental assistance was the most prominent safety net that kept people housed in addition to moratoriums on eviction throughout the pandemic. Because we did see in most places during the majority of the pandemic that eviction rates were below historic averages. And so that is a big sign that pandemic relief, emergency rental assistance was working. But now we're seeing that either jurisdictions are completing their ERA funds, they've spent all they were allocated by the federal government, or they have failed to meet spending deadlines on the opposite side of the spectrum, and now we're losing these funds back to the federal government. And so we're seeing that the pandemic is continuing. Evictions are continuing, but we're losing the safety net that has kept us below historic eviction rates through the majority of the pandemic. And so now we're seeing those eviction rates rise. When we talk about lessons learned or reforms that need to be put in place, I guess what we're saying is that rental assistance that keeps people housed needs to be not just available in a pandemic situation, but it needs to be available just as a matter of regular course. Yeah, kind of going back to a point that Michael was making, and we should redefine disaster to mean the disasters that occur in daily life in and outside of a pandemic. It could be as small as car breaking down and missing a job interview and, and losing that source of income. So disasters that happen on an individual level, the government should realize that it is their role to step in to keep people housed, that housing should be a universal human right during all times of disaster on an individual and global scale. Julia, isn't it kind of weird that um, we spend all of our resources on the front end trying to build more affordable housing while at the same time when disasters hit, either individual disasters like Aaron's talking about that are occurring just in people's lives because of a broken down car or something like that, or disasters related to something more societal level like a pandemic. Isn't it interesting that we spend all of our resources trying to get people into a house in the first place, but we don't pay much attention to keeping people in that house and that these eviction courts become basically mills for kicking people out on the street? Definitely. I, I, I see that in Texas culture in some ways. It's very interesting in how we do have that as initiative and our goals at the forefront, but then when they're in a house, we have no way to actually help them continue to stay housed. We started the pandemic and we, we started getting really good protections. We had CDC declaration, we had the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac come and protect their properties as well. We had rental relief stand up and slowly we're retrograding back into a moment that none of these protections exist anymore. We're going backwards in the pandemic, losing the CDC declaration moratorium, losing these care protections, losing rental assistance in the majority of spaces, including the state's rental relief program that was supposed to be able to fill the void of the jurisdictions that didn't have their own rental relief. So now we've lost all these protections. How do we continue to keep people safe and housed? We need to, first of all, acknowledge that what worked and emergency rent assistance worked some of the temporary moratorium worked. What else could we say were successful activities or initiatives that kept people housed in this disaster? 
I would say that the Texas Supreme Court issued several orders that were consistently revamped to uh, show the state of the times. And one of the big ones that I'll call out is allowing community navigators and legal representation to be in the courtroom. And this, in a way, has been able to have a mediation between landlord and tenant to be able to have conversations that they probably wouldn't have had before the court or even at the bench. And so enabled to communicate with each other, they're able to reach agreements and therefore keep tenants housed and keep landlords safe in in their Mm -hmm. financial stability as well. What we can say is what we've done during the pandemic to keep people housed worked. And there's no reason that we shouldn't build upon those things to continue to keep people housed and to sort of not just mitigate, but go further to end the sort of cycle of poverty for thousands, if not millions of people. It just makes uh, incredible sense to continue in that spirit and to continue with that policy instead of just letting those things lapse and letting people sort of cycle back into poverty. What's it going to take? It's a million dollar question. A, it's going to take a lot of organizing from, you know, everyday people getting involved. It's going to take holding both local, state, and for us, local and state officials accountable, whether that be through interacting with groups or whether that be, you know, writing your your local representation, showing up to meetings, town halls. It, it takes the public to really have a different level of expectation about how the whole housing system works. And that sort of gets back to the point you made in the beginning, which is this was psychically a transformation for a whole lot of people who experienced housing instability, the threat of losing their home, people who weren't necessarily poor, who weren't used to doing that type of thing. People have felt it now. Maybe maybe 60% of the population have felt it. And now coming right behind that experience of wondering if you were going to be able to pay the rent is now suddenly coming massive rental increases like we've never seen before. We're told that in Houston and in in other big cities in Texas that we're seeing the largest rental increases we've ever seen. Common sense says that people's memories are very short and they may forget how unstable and at risk they felt before, but they are going to be looking at reaching in their pocket and coming up with a lot more money to pay the rent. One of the things that I have observed in disaster and we saw a lot in the pandemic is that the higher governments kind of kicked down the can to the lower governments. The federal government says, state, you organize your programs and administer it. And the state says, local, you run your programs and administer it. Tell us how what you're going to do. But they don't really tell them, give them a guide. They don't help them stand up these programs. And we already know that at the state and local level, the, the further down you get in the government, the harder it is to have capacity to administer, stand up and run these programs. Why do we not hold the upper governments accountable to actually assist the lower governments in doing a good job to be successful? You can't just kick down the 
the road and allow the other governments to fail and say, well, we told them that they had to do the work and gave them a couple of guidelines, but kind of hands off. And, yeah. and that means that they're also washing their hands of the responsibility. This is not okay. Government is all interdependent and we have to see it as such. Aaron, you've told us through your ERA dashboard tracker on the Texas Housers website that several Texas jurisdictions have basically been pretty lackadaisical about administering emergency rent assistance money. What do you think could have been or should have been done to actually in put some pressure on those local jurisdictions to get the federal money they have available to them out to people for rent assistance? Julia talks about government not learning lessons and government being slow to pick stuff up. How would you have fixed that situation? Well, currently, the consequences faced by the jurisdictions that are failing to meet spending deadlines, failing to spend this rental assistance money, is that the federal government is just recapturing their rental assistance funds. And so for the more conservative rural counties that didn't want these dollars for low-income renters to begin with, this is almost... Um, rewarding them, you're removing them of their responsibility that they didn't want in the first place. And so getting back to kind of what we mentioned earlier about federal accountability, the federal government just has to step step in, put their foot down and, and prevent jurisdictions from refusing to administer rent relief while simultaneously allowing evictions to happen. That is just unacceptable. John, you mentioned like, what is it going to take to get people to make this an issue at the front of people's minds? I think it's important just to try not to repeat history. What we can do in terms of taking what we learned during the pandemic, how little legal recourse or rights that tenants have, we need to just install a simple uh, set of solutions or set of, of rules that tenants can get behind, that voters can get behind, that we can make more standardized throughout our state. In San Antonio, we're working on a tenant bill of rights, for example, that has very common sense measures, things like ensuring that there are certain health and safety standards, making sure that you won't be, have any sort of reprisal for organizing in your apartment complex or meeting with other people in your apartment complex, being given proper notice when you are being evicted. You know, these are just simple common sense things. I think that most renters, and there are millions of renters in this state, would see and say, why aren't we doing that? I, I, I imagine prior to the pandemic, people thought, oh, I already have those rights. Why wouldn't I have those rights? But upon further examination, they, they probably understood, oh, I don't really have a lot of power in this dynamic. So I think it's utilizing what we've seen during that time and saying, hey, these things that you don't have, let's try to make it so that everyone understands that these rights should be for all renters during all situations, not just emergency situations. Okay, let's wind this up by building on what Michael said. Michael's put forward one specific initiative, which is we need to have a discussion about basic landlord-tenant law in this state and trying to equalize the power relationships. Who's got the next specific initiative? 
I would say universal rental assistance. Um, we should redefine our perception of disaster to include the daily disasters that people experience um, regularly, because we have seen during the pandemic that rental assistance works to keep people housed. And so if we want to keep people housed, um, we already have this infrastructure in place. All we need is to funnel more federal and state dollars through it. Disasters and emergencies show the true capability of what government can do. And we should not let them slide and we should seize that moment to understand that if you can provide these protections, then you absolutely should because there is a crisis that is going on that is beyond the pandemic before the pandemic. The pandemic made financial hardship relatable because it touched low-income people and it touched middle-income people. And as a result, we saw an unprecedented amount of support for housing programs. And so I think we need to keep the momentum going and keep rolling with this culture shift and retain this understanding that it is the role of government to step in in times of disaster. And I just think we need to keep it moving and so that we consider individual level disasters at the same level that we consider societal disasters. Thank you all very much. That's all for this Buzz Session edition of A Little Louder. Keep listening for both regular, in-depth podcasts and Buzz Sessions like this one. You can listen to A Little Louder wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch the video version of A Little Louder on our website at texashousers.org. And now our friend J.T. Hirschmack will take us out with our theme song. I'm still got my